Listener Production. Hello, Tom Tilly with you for the briefing. In this episode, some sides of Grace Tame we haven't seen before. We know a fair bit about Grace Tame, particularly the sexual abuse she endured in high school. But in her memoir that she's just released, she's told her story in full from the surprising to her very dark sense of humour. One of my favourite jokes to make about the perpetrator who abused me is that he is like a pedophile starter pack. You know, like he is a Catholic child sexual abusing school teacher who wears New Balance 1080s and he plays the organ. Like, (laughs) dude. Yeah, an interview with Grace Tame, a woman who's really smashed the stereotypes on how sexual abuse survivors are expected to live and behave. That's coming up in the second half of the ep. First, Katrina Blouse is here for today's headlines. It is Monday, the 17th of October. Hey Tom, hi everyone. Well, the big news of the day is of course the unfolding flood emergency in Victoria. Emergency evacuations are in place for many parts of the state with 100 ADF personnel touching down last night to help on the ground. This flood emergency is far from over in Victoria and whilst we're seeing some communities that are now into the clean-up and early recovery phase, there are still many communities that are under risk of flood warnings at this time. That's SES Chief Officer Tim Wybush there. So more than 7,000 homes in the Shepparton area of Victoria are expected to be inundated when the Goulburn River peaks at 12.2 metres this morning. That's higher than the last record-breaking floods there in 1974. Properties around Echuca, closer to the New South Wales border, are also under threat from a surging Murray River. The floods mean more than 100 schools across Victoria will be closed today. And there's bad news in the forecast as well. There'll be a few days of sunshine in the early part of the week, but the bomb's saying there's a big weather system building up throughout the week with more rain uh, in that back end. And this weather system stretches from western Queensland right through New South Wales down to Victoria. So... Another wet, tough week ahead, Katrina. Yeah, I think we are just so over it. But I guess heartening reports from the Bureau last week that we might see the worst of it in November and it could peter off in December. So fingers crossed that Mm. is the case. Federal, state and territory governments are committing to eliminate violence against women and children within one generation. This national plan, it's a long-term plan that will withstand change of governments and it will pull us all in the same direction. Social Services Minister Amanda Rishworth there. This new plan, set to be unveiled today, outlines the commitment which will be at the centre of a 10-year strategy to stamp out gender-based violence. Yeah, so it'll outline improvements across prevention, early intervention, response, as well as recovery and healing. And it comes after Prime Minister Anthony Albanese announced a plan to expand the paid parental leave scheme from 18 to 26 weeks with the option to split it between parents. One of the best ways to boost productivity and participation across our economy is to provide more choice and more support for families and more opportunity for women. 
Yeah, so this scheme is going to expand gradually. It'll be modified next year and it'll then grow by two weeks a year until the full six months is available from July 2026. A bit late for you, Tom. (laughs) Unions are saying that it really needs to be worth more to encourage men to take that time off because, you know, with the gender pay gap, uh, it just isn't, you know, financially, um, I guess, lucrative enough for men to take that time I'm out of work. But if it had been around with you and Maxwell, Tom, do you reckon you might have used it? Well, no, for the same reason you've just outlined. It's only minimum yeah. wage, you know. It's not a huge amount of money. So it's a tricky one because it would cost so much money if you're going to pay a lot of men the same amount they would normally earn to stay off work. But it's a step in the right direction because, mm. you know, I guess we're trying to break these old stereotypes of who does what when we have a family and put men and women on a more even footing and provide more agency and power to women in in those really important months and years of their lives. And yeah, to keep them in the workforce, that um, financial independence and all the benefits that come from work. Yeah, which includes uh, a boosted super at the the end of your career, which a lot of women miss out on. The federal government has announced a spending blitz on upgrading transport infrastructure around the country, although they are insisting the upcoming budget will not drive inflation higher or add to the cost of living crisis. We're not going to be adding to inflation through this program. We're we're managing it responsibly uh, and through the budget more broadly, we have been looking for savings. That's the Finance Minister, Katie Gallagher. So we're talking about $9.6 billion for projects promised in the election campaign that have now been confirmed. So there's a suburban rail link in Melbourne, the Bruce Highway upgrade in Brisbane, an electric bus network in Perth. And in New South Wales, they've been accused of favouring the other Labor states because they only promised $1 billion for infrastructure Mm. projects in New South Wales. I think the point about inflation, I mean, these are really long-term spends. It takes years and years to build these, you know, these infrastructure projects. So I don't think it's going to stoke short-term inflation. China's President Xi Jinping is this week expected to extend his leadership into a third five-year term. Now, what this means is it will make him the second longest ruler of the country behind Mao Zedong. A lot going on in China this week. Uh, They're holding their 20th Communist Party Congress. It's the most important meeting in the five-year Chinese political cycle. So President uh, Xi opened the Congress with a two-hour speech where he had this to say about Taiwan. We insist on the prospect of peaceful reunification, but we will never promise to give up the use of force. Yeah, so some concerning words there. Uh, The president also doubled down on China's strict zero COVID policy that has seen the country cut off from the rest of the world. It's also one of the main reasons their economy is slowing down. And Ghislaine Maxwell has given an interview to a newspaper from jail. So she's spoken to The Sun, a British newspaper, and the convicted sex trafficker and longtime friend of Jeffrey Epstein said that the infamous photo with Prince Andrew, Virginia Dufresne and herself is a fake. 
This is a really weird one. Like, why would she, what's she got to gain from doing this? Mm. Because it's not like she's ever going to exonerate her name. As for that photo, she said she recognises her house, but thinks the rest of that photo was doctored and she can Mm. spot at least 50 indiscrepancies. Um, In probably not great news for Prince Andrew, she's also referred to him as a very dear friend. He, of course, has tried to distance himself from her. Um, She says he's paying the price for his association with her and Jeffrey Epstein and said her relationship with Epstein was the biggest regret of her life. She reckons that a lot of women can probably relate to having bad boyfriends in the past. I don't know that they could relate to that, Tom. That's a really bad boyfriend. Um, Yeah, I imagine (laughs) Prince Andrew is not that happy that Ghislaine Maxwell's speaking from her jail cell. I would think he'd been hoping the headlines might finally have started to die down around the Epstein issue. But I wonder how often or what else she's going to say from prison. Yeah, well, given there were two interviews and this is the first drop, you've got to imagine there's something still juicy left to come. No doubt. All right, Katrina, we'll catch you again soon. I'm about to speak to Grace Tame. All right, now to our interview with Grace Tame, the former Australian of the Year. She's recently released an amazing book called The Ninth Life of a Diamond Miner. And like a lot of you, I also wondered whether we'd already heard everything that Grace Tame had to say. She said so much, but the book reveals so much more. She's an incredibly deep thinker and she's got some amazing, sometimes hilarious stories that we haven't heard, like the fact She's already been married and divorced after living in LA for six years. Straight after high school, she moved there and married a child star. Um, So there's stories like that. We also learn a lot about her incredibly intelligent, honest, and resilient philosophy on life. So let's get into it. Grace Tame, thank you so much for joining us on The Briefing. Yeah, thanks for having me, mate. So one of the things that I guess you started during your time as Australian of the Year, but have taken to a whole new level with the book, is to smash the expectations of how a child sexual abuse survivor is supposed to behave. So can you start by telling us, what are the common assumptions and expectations people have about survivors and victims of sexual abuse? Well, one of them is this perfect victim trope. You know, we don't Mm. expect anybody to be perfect. And I think it comes from this idea that survivors are somehow again this I mean it's this damaged goods stereotype it's this you know you are lesser than you are broken you are scrap material you are you know you're marked yeah that's it it's almost like again any behavior that they engage in uh, becomes used as uh, an example to prove their guilt it's seen not as a manifestation of their trauma But this is part of the challenge, it looks like, from reading your book and then seeing what's played out over the last year and a half that you've been up against where you became well-known for what you went through and then all of your future behaviours are compared against some imaginary and bullshit model of what someone who's been through that is supposed to behave like. Yeah, well, what what are people... No two people are going to be the same. What are people supposed to behave like? Since when is there some kind of like checklist of like checkpoints of like life is not a game of Mario Kart you don't get to like oh I'm super Mario now I'm superhuman now I get to this checkpoint and now I've like completed this level of life 
people are people, you know, and they're going to make mistakes and they're going to fall down and that's okay. And, you know, like I said, survivors are just people and, and idolatry is very dangerous in life in any capacity, whether people are on a platform or not. Mm. You can't have a genuine connection. You can't have a genuine conversation with somebody who is either standing underneath the pedestal or standing on top of the pedestal. You know, it's really sad. Yeah, so how hard, you know, given the dynamics you've talked about there of being on a pedestal and the kind of distance that puts between people um, and I guess oh, I'm given- too, I'm too, I, well, I, that's very easy for me because I'm too goofy to sit on a pedestal. I fall off very quickly. I think people, <laughs> anyone who, anyone who meets me figures that out very quickly. But it's it must have made the, the year I of being- shatter, a, I'll shatter that. Yeah, but it must have <laughs> made the, the year of being a strain of the year very challenging. And I was surprised and, and saddened to read how much that seemed to affect you, that you even got to the point where you had to check into a mental health facility because it was, it was so difficult. Well, I mean, I did that for my own sort of peace of mind, you know, really. I mean, I, I don't think there's also any shame in in doing that, mm. you know. No, I, there shouldn't be. You know, I'm very lucky to come from a family where there's a lot of openness about, you know, and not, not a lot of stigma around mental health. I didn't really think twice about it. Um, I just, just knew that I needed a break and took some time off because I'd rather be proactive than wait until it's too late. So does the fact that you, you needed to go and get that help at that facility earlier this year, does that reflect on the, the challenge of being Australian of the Year in the way that you were, you know, throughout 2021 and and how that felt and the toll that took on you? Um, I actually think that for me, it was more to do with the fact that uh, it was the first time in my whole life that I had stopped. And that's something perhaps that people don't realize about me is that my whole life, I had not stopped. I had always been on the move, um, you know, whether it was going between two houses that had a very different dynamic and having to mould to these just different lifestyles, you know, different um, sets of rules. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, they might not have been, you know, like really drastic, but just, just for a kid, you know, when you're just trying to get by and just be a kid who's an, an, an only child and who has autism, and also was sexually abused when I was six years old. And then, you know, when obviously what happened um, at my high school when I was um, 14, 15, you know, I met this man when I was 14 and obviously he was in my class then. And the experience that I had in hospital was quite traumatic. You know, I was tube fed there in hospital. And then like my first home outside of my two like homes with my parents when I was 18 was in another country. You know, I moved to California um, when I was 18 and you know, if my life was hard and fast in Australia, it was it was only it only got harder and faster for the next six years or so. And then I was the Australian of the Year. And Grace, there was another deeper theme I got in your book, which was about harnessing pain and turning it into power. And you actually start off at the beginning by saying that the horrifically traumatic things you've been through are part of who you are, and you even say you wouldn't change that. No, I mean, the thing is in life, you know, there's, you know, you can never, you can never really know like what maketh the person and, and, and like, unless you have like it's a scientific experiment, unless you've got the same person and you duplicate them, you clone them and you have a control and then you have, have lots of different variables, you can never really know. And the thing about adversity or, you know, and life is that like some things are just shit and, you know, though, though I wish they didn't happen. On the other hand, 
those circumstances do create u- unique conditions for opposition, for rising up mm. from, from the ashes, if you will. And while I don't credit those experiences and that's certainly not that man for what has come after, I, you know, he made choices and those choices were shit and I wish them not to have happened and I don't, wouldn't wish those things on anybody else. But I, I made choices. Some of them were mistakes, you know, like, and I have to own those, like, because, mm. you know, I'm a kid figuring my yeah. way through the world. But, you know, I made choices in how to, how to find my way back and sort of rise up, if you will, and defy the odds, defy the stereotype and, you know, break the silence. And what I'm most proud of, though, is, is in, in trying to help, is, is in, in, you know, helping other people to learn that as well and, and help other people realise that these stereotypes of what it means to, a, to be a survivor and these stereotypes of, you know, you, you have to obey these rules of staying in silence, those are a crock of shit. So much of the success of perpetrators relies on us believing in their myths, their constructed myths of them, you know, trying to occupy space in our brain and they do not deserve that. They do not deserve to hang on to that space in our brain. They've done enough. They've done enough in causing the physical harm. They are f***ing cowards. And, you know, the power belongs to us and we are taking it back and they are shit scared and so they should be because they are pathetic. Well, the ultimate example of turning adversity into triumph is actually the specific reason you were given a strain of the year, which was changing the laws in Tasmania so that you could actually legally tell your own story, which obviously in hindsight seems like a ridiculous law that you were able to change. And so when the whole story plays out, you were fighting against being silenced, but you have made the biggest loudest noise on this issue bigger than anyone could ever have imagined well i i, <laughs> I don't know you know you just you, you, you roll with it <laughs> <laughs> have you had so much fun over the last few years going. oh hell yeah i always have fun i always find a way to have fun and have uh, have a laugh i've like i said i've got a bleak sense of humor man i've got a dark <laughs> sense of humor i'm always laughing about something i mean child sexual abuse is not funny but like but I the said, book is yeah, the somehow. Biggest, you, you, biggest, yeah. The biggest, yeah, the big, and the biggest fear of perpetrators, you know, is is to be thought of as funny, like is to diminish them. And so, you know, like one of my favorite jokes to make about the perpetrator who abused me is that he is like pedophile starter pack, you know, like he is a Catholic child sexual abusing school teacher who wears New Balance 1080s and he plays the organ. Like, <laughs> dude. Wow, I can't, like, can't little- believe you've found a way to get us <laughs> laughing about that, but you have. <laughs> Yeah. Well, amazing to speak to you, Grace. You too. Thank you. Congrats on the book and thanks for your time. Thank you. I appreciate it. That was Grace Tame talking about the pedophile starter pack. Unbelievable. Um, Her book is called The Ninth Life of a Diamond Miner. Listener.